Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Minds of Media. My name is Blake Panashevitz, and today's guest is a wonderful caster and host who has worked with many game titles, including Overwatch, uh, PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds, Rainbow Six Siege, and more. Please let me introduce Geo Collins. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hi. I've realized that my hello is probably a bit. It was. It was a little. I was expecting more. I was a little surprised. <laughs> Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I've just streamed. I've just had. I I always get the the piss taken out of me for um by my colleagues for the fact that I have eggs on toast every day. But I've just had my daily eggs on toast. So I'm feeling pumped. Is that a thing? Like I I was expecting. What you're from the UK, right? So isn't it like yeah. beans and no like, beans are disgusting. Don't okay. even bring that here. <laughs> oh, because that's like a very common thing that I see people from the UK talk about. And I'm just like, it just I, beans are not that appetizing. I'm sorry, no, but no. you have to always put something else with beans for them to be edible. Okay, it's not even that. Just baked beans are disgusting. Uh, you bite into a baked bean, it's like I don't, I don't get it. No, I yeah, I, they're, I'm not a huge fan. They're edible, but I'm like, you need like maple <laughs> syrup or something else like that there for them to be kind of edible. Like not we do that beans. in the states. Oh, oh yeah, no, we do. I would just, oh yeah, I would forego the beans and just have the maple syrup. Oh, okay, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna start off this interview uh, kind of easier, and then we're gonna go into some harder topics. Um, so okay. that's kind of how we like to do it because I don't it's like, like university the, I don't, all over again. It's like what? I mean, university, university all over again. All over again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I went there. I I've experienced that hell, so I'm ex I'm excited <laughs> for this. So the first question I'm gonna ask you that is arguably an easier question, I guess, um, is you have a background in physics, which I think is very fascinating. Um, Specifically, I believe it's physics and theoretical physics or something like yep. that. Um, so that being said, what is your favorite crazy physics theory? Like the one thing that you're like, oh, my God, this could exist. And it's insane if it does. I don't know about a theory in the sense of like something that we don't know if it's mm -hmm. real. Uh, but my, my favorite part of physics is always quantum electrodynamics. And I really like quantum chromodynamics as well. But I didn't learn much about that until my third year of university. Um, but I suppose when you look at it, like quantum theory overall has a lot of potentials and maybes that we'll never quite know about. I mean, when we were in Paris doing the, the APAC major, I was explaining to Milos the different primary interpretate philosophical interpretations of quantum mechanics and those are things that we will never know what the actual truth is and stuff like mm -hmm. that so uh but yeah qed is really cool for those who don't know that's how light interacts with electrons that are in particles and qcd is how um that's kind of how uh um like quarks interact with each other um but yeah, I won't go too much into that. So, but so, I, so, I don't think so there's nothing, one like crazy like, theory. Like multi-dimensional theory or something weird like that. The thing is, that stuff never interested me. Like loads of people are always like, oh yeah, space time and like general relativity and astrophysics. And I'm like, I don't, I never cared about that stuff. I always cared about like the really, really small scale shit. But uh -huh. oh, wait, can I swear? It's yes, you can. Good. Yeah, you can swear okay, if you want. I don't care. <laughs> I, I, was, uh, I was always interested in the really small scale stuff, not so much the large scale stuff large scale stuff that just never really uh i don't know tickled my pickle okay i guess that's fair uh so you you have a very interesting background and you actually relatively speaking haven't been in esports that long you got in kind of like 2017 2018 not even yeah 2018 2019 like, yeah, right? 2018. yeah i knew it was yeah. one of those years okay we're we're, <laughs> we're 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 going it was very it's not it's not been very long though no. um 
also you're very young, uh, which I was yeah. like actually surprised because of how mature and how well you handle yourself. How old I'm did very you think old. I was? I thought you were okay. I'm sorry, and I apologize. I thought you were closer to my age, which I'm almost thirty. Um, oh really? Wow. No, I'm 24 in a couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. You're very. Uh, you're. You're. I'm, I'm going to be 29 in January. So um, <laughs> I look very young. But uh, no, it's just the way you handle yourself and the maturity, and you. Maybe this is me on like my old like porch, like waving my cane at the kids, like all oh, those kids nowadays, right? Uh, do, do, little whippersnappers. Um, but you just the way that you hold yourself, you're so mature, and like some of the the stuff that you post on like your your, your Twitter and stuff like that. I always just kind of assumed you were an older person, but when I started researching you, I was like, holy shit, she is very young, which is good to you. Like that's you're a yeah. baby. Well, so. I appreciate that. I actually don't know what specifically you're talking about that I've handled maturely. I like to think that I'm a mature person and I I have a lot of self-awareness, which I think stands out amongst a lot of like the young guys in esports, especially. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I like to think I'm kind of mature, but I, 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 ne I never know how people perceive that stuff from the outside. Yeah, well, my perspective is is like that. So I thought it was uh, I thought it was interesting. Um, I think maybe it's just because a lot of esports is very immature. So maybe you're actually like normal, and just the rest of it is just <laughs> awful. Like there's there's always that possibility. We'll never know. So we'll we'll never know. So uh, you're, you're relatively new, and so I want to kind of go into your life growing up and led into esports. Mm -hmm. So you grew up in the UK, right? Yes. Okay, where'd you grow up in the UK? I grew up in Essex. Um, you would never be able to tell by my voice. I don't know if that will mean anything to you, uh, but Essex is sort of, uh, it's almost like the Jersey Shore of, of the UK. So especially down in South Essex, where that's where the only way is Essex was done. It's very trashy. It's quite a wealthy place in the UK, but it is very trashy. Um, so you would never know by the way that I talk, but uh, yeah, I, I grew up in Essex, but a lot of my, uh, I had a lot of freedom growing up. And so for, for me, like a lot of my social life, even from a very young age was in London, which like half of London's in Essex, half of Essex is in London, right? They, mm -hmm. they, they merge into each other. Um, so yeah, that's. Okay. You grew up in Essex. Yeah. Uh, do you have any brothers or sisters? Yeah, I have one brother. He's about 18 months younger than me. Oh, okay. Cool, cool. Now, one of the cool things, and you've mentioned what your your dad does. Your dad is a pilot, uh, yeah. very influential. I've never seen anywhere you mentioned what your your mom did with you growing up. Um, yeah. So it's interesting. So my my parents aren't together, so they kind of had to have different sorts of lifestyles. My mom always had jobs based around where my brother and I were at in our lives because mm -hmm. she never wanted to send us to. Ha, you know, have to have be looked after by someone else. So she kind of always had jobs that would revolve around um, our schooling and things like that. So when I was really young, my mum used to childmind other kids. So like that was great because it meant we had a lot of friends and I have very fond memories of sitting playing video games with like all these kids who would be at our house. Then as I got a bit older, my mum went and worked in a secondary school. Uh, and then as I got a bit more older, my mum went and worked in a prison <laughs> um, and stuff like that. So she's always kind of, differed she's very good at working with people but she, yeah she always kind of changed how things were going and now my mom is in university so she doesn't have a, a job i guess technically currently 
Okay, she's going back. There. Well, good, good on her for going back to university. Yeah, I've worked, yeah. I've worked in a jail, um, and it was <laughs> miserable to work in a jail. So I don't know if I would really like to work in a prison. There's, in the states, they're different. So. She she found it very fascinating because, like, my mom is very. <laughs> this is, I always say this to people. Like, she has a very specific talent that I think a lot of people don't get right. And I think you, as someone who's worked in mental health, will probably be able to understand this. My mom is very good at working with like young men who have had a hard time early in their lives and trying to make the best of them. Yeah. And so she really enjoyed working in this men's prison because she was around a lot of people like that yeah. and, and was really passionate about almost like their rehabilitation and being able to go back into the world. Um, so really it was kind of ideal for her in that sense. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I, I can fully relate to that. It is fun to... Yeah. It, it, it's very uh, what's the word filling I guess is probably the word too yeah to work with someone and see that so I can I can at least relate to that so you mentioned that your parents were split up mm-hmm. um has, has that always been the case or did they split up as you were growing up um I think oh god I must have been about two or three when my parents okay, broke you're up pretty but young like then. yeah but I, people are always confused because I always say I'm really glad I, I grew up with separated parents I, my parents are very good friends very okay. good friends um and so it was always a very harmonious like growing up um and uh no it was great like I had I had two homes and as a very independent person like I was very independent very young I never had to worry about feeling like there was an authority of two parents you know Mm -hmm. what I mean like whenever I see people from nuclear families who had to ask permission from both their parents to do something I'm like no I'm sorry that's too much for me (laughs) I never had to deal with that shit so um yeah no I mean it was great for me and like half the time I didn't even know what country my dad was in, right? Like my dad was abroad so much. So, um, just, that was very normal for me. Yeah. That um, makes sense. No, I like, I actually, yeah. I think it would be much better growing up with them already being split up and then being very amicable. Cause I know that my parents, yeah. my parents split up when I was six and I remember it like to this day. They're older, yeah. Oh yeah. And it, like, you're old enough just to start to remember things and then you get weirdly put in them it, and it was not yeah. amicable. Like, I, so oh, that's no. why I was like, oh yeah, God, it was, it was not, awful. And, that's not enviable. Like yeah. for me, it's like, I, I remember my parents living together, but I, I mean, I don't obviously know really yeah. much about the breakup. I know that it was very much mutual and it was just yeah. like, yeah, okay, there's <laughs> that's good though. That's good. I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's pretty good. Uh, did yeah. your mom push you to uh, do like academia? Was that something that, or your dad, like growing up through high school, was that something you kind of got pushed into was academia? No, actually, uh, interestingly, I just turned out to be incredibly academic from a super young age. Really? Like, for, yeah, from the age of like five, something like that. Um, I was super on the straight and narrow, very academic. I was like, I always I always say I peaked at 18, right? Because I was in a, a really smart kid. Um, hmm. And in the UK, we have things called grammar schools, which yeah. are not private schools, but they are basically the best schools in the country. You have to take exams to get in. I went to one of those um, and I found it, very easy. I got like amazing grades without much effort. Like I was Mm -hmm. that kid, you know? Um, but I loved it. Like I, I loved learning. I was very academic. I, it was very much a personal thing. And it's like, I remember, you know, a number of people ask this sort of thing because you see it a lot in certain kids. Um, but even my brother, you know, my parents said to him, like, if you want to go to a grammar school, we can put you through for the exam. And my brother was like, no, not interested. And my parents were like, okay. You know, they just like my parents never they they helped like enable it. They knew that I was interested in it and they helped like facilitate that. And um, 
but they always really kind of supported whatever it was we were personally interested in. Okay. And how did those interests change growing up then? Like, were you, were you someone who grew up, were you into theater? Was it someone who was, cause you mentioned you were, you were mm-hmm. at least good at academia and pushed for academia. Were you into sports, anything like that? What were you interested in as a kid? I was really creative. So I was uh, really big into art. I would draw a lot from a really young age. Um, that was something that I was just kind of naturally good at as a kid. I haven't really nurtured it as an adult much, so I, I'm not that great anymore. But mm-hmm. um, I was really into music. Like I taught myself to read music when I was about four. Um, and I, I, I like I played the flute. You can see my two of my keyboards I behind just me. Your the, keyboards. Yeah. The, these days I mostly just make electronic music, which um, like my dad's very musical and he he was really big and encouraging that when I was a teenager. Um, I loved creative writing. That was like my, probably my most natural talent from a really young age. Like for the longest time, I wanted to just work in creative writing. I wanted to be like an author or something like that. I still enjoy creative writing, but I just, when do I have the time to do that now? Um, so I was super, super creative, which my brother wasn't so much. My brother was definitely better at sports than I was. Okay. I, I never really had much interest in sports until really early adulthood. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't that great. At it. And like my family are very sporty, like the sort, you know, like will invest a significant amount of money into the right equipment kind of sporty. So I was the black sheep from that perspective. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I was always someone who had like a shit ton of interest just so many hobbies that i just like mm-hmm. didn't have enough time to do them. so i'm actually i'm really big into music too i love music mm-hmm. um i did like i play guitar i taught myself guitar after i like, chopped off my uh, fingers i played and guitar stuff. for two weeks before giving up that's okay that's okay not to, make, not to make you feel bad but i have missing fingers <laughs> and i can still play guitar so uh oh, okay uh, check this just, guy out just just say it uh, but you can play piano which is cool um but at one point i actually went to, i thought about going for like music music education to actually teach music and i quickly changed from that because you don't make any money doing that um but (laughs) going back um have you ever done any like live shows or anything like that did you like when you were playing music did you ever get a chance to to do anything like that uh when i was in primary school they used to do a thing where every every week like you could if you played an instrument you could have Mm -hmm. the opportunity to play in front of the whole school that's about as far as it went (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I would like play one song on my flute and I'd be like, yeah, I'm famous. But um, as for the sort of music I do now, no. And that's probably not something I'd be interested in either. Okay. Are you ever going to release any of your EDM music so people can listen to it? Oh, or it's you all over SoundCloud. Okay, it's all okay. over SoundCloud. <laughs> okay. Okay. Follow my I SoundCloud, just, by the way. Follow, follow our SoundCloud. Um, <laughs> but no, that's I, that's I think it's really cool. I, I think music is a lot of fun. What, what attracts you to uh, EDM music so much? It's a really big question. This is going to sound really strange, but the same thing that attracts me to classical music. So, and actually most of the, the electronic music I really like has been inspired by classical music. But for me, I've always been someone who, what I get out of a song has way more to do with the melody than it does to do with the lyrics. So a lot of people really find meaningful lyrics. And there are songs like that, that I definitely feel the same about. Cause yeah. I, I really, I listen to like rock music and stuff like that. Um, but for me, like a, a certain melody will be way more meaningful to me okay. and like the dynamics of the song. And so obviously that's how classical music works or especially in in like Baroque and Romantic music, which yeah. you know, I, I like a lot. Um, and in 
in electronic music, it's it's the same. Like obviously there are there are many subgenres of of electronic music. So you get yeah. proper dance music and you get all this stuff. And a lot of it does have uh vocals and stuff like that. But the sort of stuff I listen to is very like classically inspired, I suppose, and really focused around like melodies and and stuff like that. And if you listen to a lot of the stuff that I make, uh, people always say it's like, it sounds very like dark and eerie and kind of like sinister, which I really like because it That's wasn't cool. necessarily something I tried to do, but it was something that you can hear the inspirations that I've taken it from, but it, it's very focused around uh, the the kind of like atmosphere of the song through melody and through like dynamics and stuff mm-hmm. more so than you know other stuff and also like bass is nice to listen to right (laughs) everyone loves a good wub wub so um yeah there's plenty of subgenres of of electronic music that don't interest me in the in the slightest but that's what i like about the electronic music that i listen to awesome okay so kind of looking at like just this little bit of even like a little bit of your past so far we noticed like almost like a trend of like music um creative writing all of these different things do you think they led up to you being the caster that you are today because i mean it's it's such a weird combination of entertainment meets just um like study and education which is kind of what it's, color casting is yeah i guess so i mean i think the fact that i i like studying and i like learning is a huge part because that a lot of people don't necessarily realize that that is a massive element yeah. of casting um and obviously people have different ways of studying and different ways of learning uh but for me it really was kind of conducive to that um i think for me like probably a major part which we haven't really spoken about was just that i'm just so extroverted and i loved being in front of a camera like i liked the idea of acting when i was a kid but i never really got the opportunity to do it but when i was in my teens i did youtube like religiously and i really enjoyed that the kind of it's 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 performative, but not as fictional as acting, right? Yeah. So it's like you get to you get to do the performance in front of the camera, but you're still you. I don't know. It's, it's yeah. kind of hard to hard to describe, but yeah, I would say the fact that I am the Venn diagram of academia because obviously I did my degree in something very mathematical and and scientific, and then also I'm an incredibly creative person. Like I am the middle of the Venn diagram. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's really cool. I, I like, yeah. I appreciate that a lot. Um, so mm-hmm. c- kind of going back to this, um, I, I do jump around a lot. My apologies. My that's ADHD fine. just lets me do it. So if it bothers it's you, I can cool. try to keep on track, but I, I it, don't tend to. How dare you have ADHD? I know, right? <laughs> no, like, I, I, just, I know, it's fine. It doesn't right. bother me too. Um, so you kind of were mentioning, uh, this creative side and being extroverted, um, going back to the school front, did this mean you were someone who always made a lot of friends and you, you, you got along with everyone? In primary school, I was a bit of a loser. Um, well, yeah, no, no, that's kind of true. So I was never bullied. Like it on uh, when you come into something like esports or online stuff, a lot of people share stories about being bullied. Yeah. And I, I feel like an outsider and that I wasn't, um, that's not Which a bad I don't, thing. Like, I don't, no, I don't regret it. <laughs> like, I, I'm not upset about it, but it is kind of strange. So, uh, yeah, I was never bullied, but in like my last year of primary school, my first couple of years of secondary school, I would, uh, or at least my first year of secondary school, there were just some like, ah, uh, I I learned through, uh, through practice to never be that person who like messages someone saying, am I annoying? (laughs) Because I learned that that is like the most annoying thing you can possibly do. That is how to make people dislike you. So, um, and then I had some friends online who I'd known since I was about 10, right? Like these online friends. Uh, 
And just the way that they were with each other really influenced my personality. And there was a time where I just turned around once. I was, it must be about 12, maybe nearly 13. And I was just kind of like in my, in my own head, I was just like, why well, I'm just going to be like this crazy confident person. I'm just that. And that was it. It was like, it was just, it was just like a switch. And overnight, that was it. And then, you know, after that, like I was just, it was never that I was bad socially. I was, I was yeah. obviously had natural social skills. You can't fake those. Um, it was just very much the way I saw myself. Uh, and like, that was kind of it. And I've, I've always been like a pretty charismatic person. Um, and so I went to all girls school and I always joke that by the end of my tenure at all girls school, I was the only person in my class who didn't have beef with anyone in the class <laughs> who like could talk to anyone from any friendship group and be fine. So I would yeah. say like, we didn't necessarily, well, I wasn't one of the popular girls in the sense of like Regina George, the popular girls, yeah. but I was popular in the sense that I had a lot of friends and I was amicable with a lot of people. Um, and I was good at like keeping that. Yeah, I mean that's that's probably the best way to end uh, through your like little uh, school yeah. career. To be honest, like it's probably <laughs> better to be there than like uh, like anywhere else. You kind of touched yeah. on something that I've kind of noticed. Another thing about you is that you almost have this switch that when you say you're going to do something, I just you do just, it. You just do it, and it's it comes up I think quite a bit in your life. I'm willing to bet that there's times where you're just like, yeah, yeah. I'm going to do this, and then you just. You, you do it. I am one of the single most self-assured people that that I know. And I, yeah, I'm definitely like that because I'm like, just my general philosophy and outlook on life, it has, I have never had anything in my life that would instill any kind of mentality on me to suggest that I can't do something. Yeah. Um, so I really am like my own kind of perpetual motion machine in that sense. Mm -hmm. Like I, if I want to do something, I'll do it. Like who's to say I can't. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's amazing. <laughs> it's a good skill set to have. I think, uh, mm -hmm. I, you have to be careful about being too stubborn sometimes I feel like, but that, that oh, might I've definitely be... run into that problem before. Yeah. 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 No. Definitely. No. I'm sure we'll get onto that at some point. No. Yeah. yeah I, 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 but I, yeah. I relate a lot to that actually. Cause that's how I've always felt like it's like, you know what? Anyone who says I can't do something, I'm like, Fuck you. Like that's yeah. that's basically like I'm just gonna figure out I'm gonna figure a way to do it until I decide that I'm not gonna do it. It has nothing to do with what you say, it's just whether or not I wanna decide. It's why I really take an issue with uh, you know, you get people, especially people who have succeeded in something. Yeah. And they will you know, people come to them for advice and they'll be trying to temper people's expectations, right? And they'll be like, look, it's very unlikely these sorts of things work out. You have to be prepared for if it doesn't. And in that instance, I kind of just want to turn around and be like, it's true, but who are you to say that? Like you've made it and you're trying to tell someone else that they can't like, fuck you. Even if it is true that you, you definitely yeah. should go into things with, uh, you know, a certain amount of realism because you'd be stupid not to. Um, it's still like, I don't necessarily see it as those people's places to say that because so, for me, it's like, I'm, yeah, I'm not I, here to be told that I can't achieve what you did. Yeah. So I guess I, I kind of understand what you're saying for, but okay. So like when I was working with like uh, the LA gladiators, right. And like people yeah. would occasionally mention like, how, how do I get this job? How do I get in this? And like get that question so often and the true answer is if you can't really figure it out yourself oh my god yes you're not oh gonna my get god. there this that's is the true exactly answer. it this is that's exactly the, it that's the true if answer you, 
I always think the single most important thing for being able to make it, it doesn't even have to be esports, it can be anything, is having a natural intuition for how the industry and the job works. And if you can't, if you don't have that from the get-go, you there's only so far you can be handheld because yeah. at some point you'll have to figure it out for yourself because it's a competitive industry. It's a freelance industry. You're going up against other people. You've got to be able to figure out for yourself. And it's not just being able to cast or being able to do social media or being able to do your job. It's like all the peripheral stuff around that, like building a brand, making like marketing yourself, all this stuff. You have to have the intuition on how to do that and why you should be doing it. And if you don't, you're going to struggle. But yeah, I, oh my God, you, that's, this is the first time I've ever heard someone else say that out yeah. loud so and i guess that's the thing is i feel like what other people do when they tell them like oh what they're trying to say is basically you're too lazy to figure it out yourself you probably should just quit because if you're asking me these and i feel like it's like them trying to nicely let people down when a lot of times yeah. and i feel like i might have been guilty for this too because i want people to believe in their dreams but i also need them to realize that listen like the truth is you can't get here the same way that i probably got here because it yeah. doesn't really work because it changes so quick like some of the people that i've interviewed who have told their stories about like getting into like if you were to look at like Intera right going back to a Rainbow Six and my interview with him he very much said he very much lucked into it like one day he was doing some casting stuff and he got picked up they were like hey do you want to cast and then he was in and he was good uh, and he even a says, huge flute a it, huge flute I know, but that's that's what I mean. Is like the, I think I feel like a lot of people's careers are kind of a huge fluke, though. When you look at like a lot of people of like getting in and like uh, getting their first gig, sometimes a lot of it like there is an element to luck here. Definitely it, is. So I mean, I don't know. I just don't feel like anyone can go down the same path. So if people were to, I and mean, we're probably going to get into this, if people were to try to redo your path, I don't think it would work the same way. See, the biggest thing I always say is like, and and this is something that, uh. It's kind of a sensitive topic for some people, I suppose, but it's like, I think it would be worse if I were to lie about it because I don't believe that it's fair to to give like an idea that this isn't how it was for me. But for my specific way of getting into esports, if I didn't have the financial means to do it, I would not have been able to do it. And so I would find it really disingenuous to tell someone else, oh, this is how I did it. You just need to repeat what I do because when it, when it comes to like, oh, it just so happened that this person had the money to be able to do that. You can't, that's not advice. You can't give advice to someone. Right. Um, and, and I find that, that sits really wrong with me. So I I try to like keep it generic and be like, look, at the end of the day, like what I looked for were opportunities at the bottom of the ladder and tried to work up the ladder. Right. And that's yeah, way back when that's what I asked advice for other people on was like, where are those opportunities? Right. What's the, who's the best person to speak to. Um, And I would seek out these people myself. And I did, I, I can network, right. Like I, I found these, these networks myself, but it was like, about like getting your foot in the bottom of the ladder, I can totally understand giving advice on that. But how you climb that ladder is yeah. then very personal. And that's where it starts to, your story and the next person's story will will start to divert. Because like you mentioned in terror, right? And it's like, oh yeah, it just so happened that like the guy who was casting Pro League, like fought tooth and nail to yeah. have him in it because he didn't like the guy he was casting with. It's like that you can't like you can't rely on that happening. No. Because no. chances are it's not going to. Um and for me it was like when I first got in touch with um 
the the agency that I I started out with, like a lot of people don't start out on an agency. It takes some no. time to to get with an agency. But when I first got in touch with them, it was because someone I knew couldn't do a gig and and put my name forward, even though I was I was a no one. Like they they had never heard of me, mm-hmm. um, and that's how I got put in touch with them. Like you can't like just rely on stuff yeah. like that. But yeah, it does yeah. it does really exemplify why having a good network is definitely the way. Yeah, I think that that's definitely the the important part of it. So uh, quick little side tangent, fun talk. Uh, but I do agree. I think that basically people need to like it sucks to say that, though, because it feels really awful. But basically, you, you have to at some level figure it out. You have to figure out like you, yeah. like people are going to like basic things. They're going to say make content, uh, network like. But these are things literally for every single job on like the planet right like it doesn't like the basics don't really change it's Mm -hmm. just beyond that is what kind of changes for it yeah um so looking at uh you're going through school you are an academic uh success you're doing well um you're looking to go into you call it universities right is that what you call Mm -hmm. college universities you're looking to go into universities where are you looking to go uh, so my first choice university was Imperial College London, which at the time I think was either the first or second h- highest ranked university in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, that's basically our equivalent of MIT. It's a science only university. Uh, and I got a spot there um, with very high requirements. Um, I had an A star, A star, A requirement, which British people in the audience will, will know what that means. Uh, those were my predicted grades. So I shouldn't have had an issue getting in. Um, I applied for the university of Oxford as well, but I really, um, so for Oxford, for a lot of their courses, you have to take an entrance exam. And I kind of, it it wasn't even that I fucked up the exam. It was that I didn't try on the exam. Um, I don't know why I just, I just really was sort of like YOLO'd it and it obviously didn't pay off. Um, in the UK, you have to apply to five universities. So I applied to a couple more as well. Uh, but yeah, Imperial was the one I wanted to go to. Okay. Okay. Now, is this the same one that you lost your spot for? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> this, uh, God, this is such a sore spot, but yeah. Um, I basically had, so I'm not someone who suffers from anxiety. I never yeah. have. Uh, but in the lead up to my exams, um, I had this really big bout of anxiety. Don't know why, don't know where it came from, but I had it. And I'm the sort of person who, when I feel anxiety, uh, I can't distract myself. I know a lot of people who suffer from anxiety chronically and they're like, okay, I'm going to do this because it distracts me. I'm going to do this because it distracts me. I can't do that. I'm the sort of person who's like, I have to sit and focus on it. I have to talk about it. It has to be the, the forefront of my mind. Otherwise it festers. And what that meant was that I couldn't focus on studying. I could not study for my exams. And I I remember desperately trying and just feeling like utter shit. Um, And as a result, I missed my predicted grades. Um, And I still got like way above average grades, but they weren't what I needed to get into this university. Um, And I remember going and picking up my results at school with my dad and just like crying my eyes out. Cause it was to me, like, you know, I said how like, it's a really cocky thing to say, but I was like that kid who was like good at everything. Uh, This was the first time I'd ever experienced like a real failure. In, in my life. Like it was the first time that I'd tried to do something and it hadn't worked out. And 
when that's what you're experiencing a month before you turn 19, uh, that's quite an old age to, to first experience that. And I, I didn't know how to process it. And actually for, I mean, it still affects me now within a number of things, but especially my first two years of university, it affected me so badly that it, I really screwed up a lot of what I was doing in general in my life as a result. Um, but yeah, it like, it's, it, it fucking screwed me over so bad, like from a mental perspective. Uh, but can, yeah, no, that's, yeah, I lost the spot. Of the can uni. you go into it? Like what this, what it felt like dealing with that failure and kind of like living the day to day life with that? Yeah. So for me, like in, in uni, let's say my first year of university, um, I was so scared of failing after trying that what I would do is not try. So it's like, to me, I wanted to be in control. And so it was like, well, if I fail on purpose or if I just like don't do well on purpose, then that's because I chose to do that and not because I tried and failed as a result. And that was a really big mindset that I couldn't overcome. So it was like, I would go to my, actually in my first year of university, I skipped uni a lot, but like I would go to my lectures um, and I would not make notes or sometimes I would make notes and then I wouldn't do a load of work. I would study for the exams at the end of the year. Um, so I didn't do badly by any, like from an objective perspective, I still got, I don't know how you pronounce it, come loudy uh, in like, oh, yeah, my first two years of university, uh, yeah. first two years of university, our equivalent. So I got two one. Um, but like during the year, I just couldn't. And so it was like, if there was something, I remember so explicitly, like if there was something I didn't understand, I would not ask anyone. I wouldn't ask my lecturer. I wouldn't ask my friends because the idea of feeling like I couldn't do it myself and I had to ask someone for help was the most shameful thing I could possibly fathom that I just wouldn't do it. Now, like most grown adults and even plenty of teenagers and even some children will know that that is a fucking ridiculous mindset to have. It's so toxic. It's not conducive to moving forward. It's not conducive to growth, success, anything like that. But I could not get over it at all. And it got to my third year of university, so my final year, um, or I suppose it wasn't supposed to be my final year at the time because I was still supposed to be doing a master's degree, <laughs> but the final final year of my bachelor's degree. And at the beginning of the year, I was like, okay, it's going to be difficult, but I actually want to try this year. Um, and I need to try and let go. And it was a lot harder than I thought it would be. And looking back, it still was pretty bad. Um, in esports, I've still had to be working on it and stuff like that, especially as like, I mean, even recently when I started on EU League, like I had to very publicly show my weaknesses because I didn't know as much about the game as the people I was working with. And for me, that, that's hugely terrifying. I've spoken about how I don't play the game with friends of mine even now because I'm so scared of embarrassing myself by making mistakes. And that, this all comes from the fact that I fucked up these exams at the end of my A-levels and didn't get into the university that I wanted to get into. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I, I like even I've been streaming the last few days. I haven't streamed properly in like a year and a quarter. And the reason being that back when I streamed Overwatch all the time, I would get so tilted and so mentally wound up every time I made a mistake that I would literally end the stream because I felt like I wanted to cry because I hated the idea of people seeing me do badly. Like it, it was like that bad. And it's taken me a lot of building up to get back into streaming because I know that I suck at playing Siege, but I've had to kind of learn to like be very open about it and also laugh at myself. Yeah. 
Um, and that was something I couldn't do because academia was like always what I was so good at, like from being a tiny kid, that was always the, the fundamental here is what I'm good at. And I couldn't laugh at myself about it because like every growing up, like everything I was working towards was going to like the best university in the world. Mm-hmm. And I, it slipped through my fingers and like that would, for me, it's just, I, I'm fucking probably should have gone to therapy, but you know, I don't think I probably. realized I don't think I realized how bad that had affected me until I was maybe about 21. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I, I remember hearing you briefly mention this kind of same thing. And I kind of want to I talk because I relate to this a lot. Um, this, yeah. this idea of not wanting to ask for help because mm-hmm. it's so shameful because it's something I struggle with to this day like yeah. uh, especially like with esports stuff and like this mentality of you have to figure it out even though mm-hmm. I have a lot of friends who are like in different areas of esports who have said listen if you need help just just ask but I struggle yeah. so badly and I'm starting to like break it now because I'm like <laughs> maybe maybe you shouldn't have to do this all on your own when you have people who are actually willing to help but it, it's a really yeah. big struggle and I think a lot of people actually go through this, this idea of asking for help just because because you seem it, it, it makes you feel like you're weak when mm-hmm. you're really not and like I relate to yeah. it on like so many levels there uh, it's I, so hard. I remember just before EUL started or as EUL was starting and um obviously like Des who's one of the other casters I've been very very close friends with him for about two and a half years now and I remember like messaging him and being like look one of the things I need to get over is the fact that I can't ask for help so um I'm gonna like trust you. You're going to be someone who I'm going to make myself comfortable with asking, but like in return, I just need, I need like a blunt answer. Um, and just not any, anything that I can interpret as like condescension. I know he wouldn't be condescending cause he's not yeah. like that. But for me, it was like the way people word things is a very, very big deal. And I was like, it just like I, I, I will get better at it. Uh, but just for now, that's how it's got to be. And even in that time, like I feel like I'm much better at it. I'm much more comfortable with asking that. Yeah. But like it was almost like I needed like the safe space of like this is the person who I I'm not scared to ask. Mm-hmm. And it was even scary. Like you know at the, at the start of EUL, I would message him sometimes and be like, oh hey, does this do this or is this what this is or like blah 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 blah. And I would be like super worried about it. Um. But yeah, no, it's like. I don't know, crazy shit. Yeah, no, it's crazy. (laughs) I always, one of the problems for me is I never wanted my friends to feel like I was using them. That was like something that I always kind of struggled through is I'm like, I don't like my friends are my friends and I don't want like, Mm -hmm. I would do like anything for my friends, but Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that they're willing to do like, it just feels weird. I don't know. It's such a weird concept, but I I, like when you said it, I was like, I was like, holy God, I relate to this on like so many levels here because I've always (laughs) been awful about asking for help um, growing up. And it's, it is a really bad thing to have though, uh, to not be able to, to, to ask for help. Um, Mm -hmm. So kind of an interesting thing you're you're working through your 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 college degree um what made you choose physics out of all the things you could choose passion like so i i went through a few so i've always been very ambitious so all throughout like my teenagehood even my childhood i always knew what i wanted to do but that idea would change sometimes Mm -hmm. so like for example there was a period where i really wanted to study medicine we can study medicine as a bachelor's degree in the uk um but it's so competitive and I was a bit too old when I realized that I wanted to study it Mm -hmm. because really you have to have started doing a lot of stuff from a quite young age. So I reluctantly gave that one up. Um, and 
my other passions were, you know, physics. I was super loved. Languages was the other one. Um, really? And I basically, yeah. And I basically got to the point where I was like, well, it makes more sense to get a formal education in physics and continue teaching myself languages than vice versa, because I will hit a ceiling if I have to teach myself physics. Um, so I never had like a specific job that I had in mind that I needed a physics degree for or anything like that. I just was like, I'm going to do this degree because I want to, because I find it interesting and I, I really love physics. And the way that our student loan system works here is like meant that I could do that. <laughs> meant that I wasn't paying like a hundred grand a year for- Oh God, so <laughs> you don't even want to know how much student debt I have. I have I don't know how much I have. I haven't checked. Uh, I don't want okay. to Well, I know I have $140,000 in student loan debt. So I, I think that's what I have. My degree so. alone will have cost me about 30,000. Um, and then I will have had like maintenance stuff on top of that. So like some extra loans that I'll have to pay back. But I would say probably if I could guess, probably between 40 and 50,000 pounds worth of debt, maybe. That's that's that I will never pay off. Like I will pay off some of it, but I'll never pay off all of it because the way it gets written off in the UK if you haven't paid it back after a certain amount of time. Oh, that's in the in the United States. The way that it works is you can do <laughs> you can do repayment plans, and if you mm -hmm. pay it for twenty five years and you don't miss a single payment, they will forgive it. So that is my yeah. current goal is to that's uh, do how that. That's kind of because like ours are all so. A lot of people don't understand why there is this difference between the UK and the US. Um, Almost all of our universities in the UK are state-run universities, which mm -hmm. means that basically any university that you'll go to here, you get the government student loan, which is why that works, right? Whereas in the US, a lot of the you know the Ivy Leagues and, and oh, yeah. even some of the best universities in in the country are not state-owned; they are private institutions, and so they you have to get private loans for them, right? So um, it obviously works a bit differently. But here, yeah. ours is. It's like you pay back a certain percentage of how much you earned with your salary um, over twenty five thousand pounds, I think. So, um, if you earn twenty five thousand and one pounds in a year, you pay back like ten percent of that one pound yeah. towards your student loan. Okay, that makes and sense. If you are salaried, which obviously I'm not because I'm freelance, but if you're salaried, then it automatically comes out of your salary before you're even paid it. Uh, yeah. Whereas like as a freelancer, I have to pay it in my taxes when I do a tax yeah. return at the end of the year. Um, yeah. But yeah, and then obviously after, after like 30 years, they write it off. So. Just, just an FYI for chat. I went to a, a public school in the United States. I didn't go to like some fancy school. I just went to a public school and half a master's degree. I dropped out of my master's program as well. Hey, um, twins. So, but I, I was, I was halfway through with mine. So unfortunately, uh, yeah. Uh, but kind of getting into that next, then uh, you're going through and doing physics, and you're thinking about doing a master's degree. Was it just kind of all part of the plan that you would do an undergrad and a master's all in physics? Okay, so I need to give some background on, on a certain type of degree we have in the UK for me to actually fully explain this. So obviously the traditional way of doing things is you do a three-year bachelor, three bachelor's degree and then you can go and do an MSc or an MA uh, mm -hmm. and do a separate master's degree. What they started to introduce a few years ago, and by a few years ago, I probably mean about 10 years ago at this point, um, is for certain science programs, you could do a four-year undergraduate master's degree, which basically was the first three years are the exact equivalent of a bachelor's degree, but the fourth year is... Uh, is a master's degree, but you get one degree for the whole thing. So really? that's what, yeah. So that's what I was on. And the, the really big plus about that is that you are paying bachelor's degree 
prices and you can get a bachelor's degree student loan and end up with a master's degree. Um, and it, you can go and do a PhD straight off the back of that, or you can go and do like an MSc, which some people still choose to do. Um, but really, they started to introduce it for other subjects later on, but that was mostly just for, for science subjects. So I was on one of those. So I was already enrolled on a four-year undergraduate master degree. But what you can do on them is if you get to a certain point in the degree, you can ask to be transferred onto the regular bachelor's degree because the first three years are exactly the same as the bachelor's degree and then graduate just after the third year and and graduate with a bachelor's degree so for me from the get-go i was meant to be getting this master's degree um and what i ended up doing in my third year was transferring over onto the bachelor's degree and just graduating with the first three years okay that makes that makes a lot of sense okay so your last year of college Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably one that you're going to remember for the rest of your life. Um, yeah, no shit. <laughs> uh, for many different reasons, some of which I want to kind of talk, talk about. Um, yeah. obviously you were, um, uh, I, when you were 20, you were diagnosed with, um, epilepsy, right? Is that the year? Right. Um, but on top of that, you were almost supposedly diagnosed with a rare form of um, encephalitis, mm-hmm. uh, which is, and it's all happened in the same year, right? Yeah, yeah. The so the encephalitis thing came about exactly a year after I got my epilepsy diagnosis. Okay, so uh, what happens when you're first diagnosed with epilepsy? How did you even get checked out for that? Did you have an episode? Was yeah. So basically, when I was nineteen, um, I, it was in, I guess February twenty sixteen. Um, was I nineteen then? Yeah, I was. <laughs> I yes. turned nineteen in yes. September twenty fifteen. All right. So in February twenty sixteen, I started having these really weird like moments, and it's really hard to describe them. What obviously later transpired was that they were like seizures, very small scale seizures, and I don't get them that small anymore. But um, it would feel like a very strange deja vu with these weird uh, sensory things i don't know anyway so i would have them every now and then and i was like these are kind of weird um and about six months in um i was like right i'm gonna google this shit because like this must be something right uh and the first thing that came up was an aura which i'd never heard of um now an aura is a type of seizure but it's only ever referred to as an aura when it's a warning for a bigger type of seizure so uh what it actually was in and of itself was a different type of seizure um, and I was like, huh, maybe that that's what this is. Maybe these are seizures. I don't know. So, um, I went to a GP, uh, and then from there on, I got referred to a consultant. Um, and then the epilepsy diagnostic process takes quite a while because you have to, you've got to have blood tests. You've got to have an EEG, which is where they glue all the shit to your head yeah. and measure brain waves. Uh, I had to have an MRI because um, when you're an adult, so late onset epilepsy is not too rare. If you are not born with epilepsy, the most common times to get it are at the end of your first decade or the end of your second decade. And obviously I was 19. So like I, that is the end of my second decade. Yeah. Um, but they do an MRI on adults because they just want to check that it's not because you've got a tumor that's secretly growing or something like that. But I wasn't worried about that. Also, I would love to have an MRI on my brain again. It was so relaxing. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you've got to have all that stuff. 
it can take a little while for the results to come through. But about half a year later, finally, I had the bit of paper that said uh, uh, left temporal lobe epilepsy. Um, and I was like, fuck yeah, because that meant that like, for me, the really big thing, cause I originally didn't plan to go on medication. Yeah. Um, but for me, the really big thing was I just wanted to have the name to what it was because mm-hmm. obviously over this time it'd been gradually getting worse and it was, uh, what a lot of people don't realize about epilepsy is you get all these like peripheral symptoms and stuff as well. And, and for me, because it was in my left temporal lobe, I have like, I started to get really bad memory problems, which I still have that suck um, and stuff like that. And so, you know, for me, that's what it was. Then they offered me a medication and I was like, okay, I'll try it. Um, and that in and of itself turned out to be a huge what happened? Because you, you you went through two medications actually that had some pretty severe effects. What happened yeah. when you took this medication? Yeah, so um, epilepsy medication ha- comes with a risk of some pretty bad skin diseases. Um, one called Stephen Johnson syndrome and one called toxic epidermal necrolysis, which is sort of like the advanced version, uh, which basically is where like the dermis and the epidermis separate in the skin. You can Google it. Pictures aren't very nice, so do be warned. I'm, I'm going to pass um, on that Google search. I'm gonna, <laughs> I already chopped up my fingers i don't need to see anything else gross yeah yeah um so if you get a skin rash that's kind of like the really early signs and so you've got to be taken off the medication so uh i was on lamictal which is the first one for four weeks and then i got the skin rash they have to really gradually like up your dosage so that you don't get to basically reduce your chances of getting this skin rash. I got this skin rash, told the doctor, um, and they were like, okay, we'll take you off of it. Now what you're supposed to do with epilepsy medication is gradually wean someone off because otherwise it can really fuck you up. But my doctors were like, your dosage is low enough that you can just come straight off. And I was like, okay, turned out uh, that wasn't quite true. Um, My epilepsy just got really bad really quickly. And I, I (laughs) I was living alone at the time which is maybe not the best idea um and i remember like one day like waking up on the other side of my flat like and and my you see my tripod with my dslr on it yeah that was on top of me and i was on the floor um and i remember waking up and being like oh my god my camera (laughs) and uh and picked it up and i got back on the floor to get back to sleep and it was maybe some time later that i realized i shouldn't be on the floor because there's this thing called the post-ictal state after a a seizure which is like just severe confusion um and when i eventually got up and i kind of crawled back to my bed and i realized what had happened and i knew i'd i knew i'd had at least two major seizures like there had obviously been one in my bed and there had obviously been one where i had found myself um and yeah i remember calling or texting my friends who were at uni and i was like i need someone to come to my flat now like <laughs> this is an emergency um and they they took me to their house and i just one of one of the guys who lived there was abroad so they just dumped me in his bed and there i stayed for three days um so that wasn't great and then yeah. i was put on a second medication um kepra or levetiracetam is the generic term uh and i got the rash after six days <laughs> um and I came straight off of that one and that that was fine. But the problem they had then is they were like, well, shit, what do we put you on now? Because it's not as common to get a rash on Kepra. So I think they gave me the option to, to go back on Kepra, which I didn't want to do, try this third medication, carbamazepine, um, or not do anything. And I ended up opting to go on carbamazepine. I'm still on it now, so it's fine. The worst part about it is it makes me very sleepy. I basically have chronic fatigue as a result. So I nap all the time, which I hate. I hate napping. Um, but yeah, so that that happened. That was yeah. great. 
So I have a, I have kind of a, a follow-up question um, for that. So one of the things that you mentioned is memory issues mm. um, being there. Like, were you still really dedicated towards school at this time? Was it still something where you were like, school is my, my thing that I want to succeed in? Because I imagine that having memory issues and trying to do that would just almost be like a further, like, degradation of this idea of something you want to succeed in. It was very frustrating. So I was in my second year of university when this happened. At the time, I think I was trying to pursue, I wanted to do like game development or something like that at the time. Um, So depending on whether you have epilepsy in your left or right temporal lobe will change what sort of memory problems you have. So I have mine in my left temporal lobe, which is, (laughs) get this, verbal memory. So the ability to remember words. So that helps with casting. Yeah. and also semantic memories. So the ability to remember facts that helps with exams. So stuff like that. And it, it really is the sort of memory issues that work against me very much. And it's very frustrating because like I, I've, I felt it a lot. Um, and I, and also like you get very bad memory problems, like after you've had seizures. So like I have yeah. big black spots in my memory, but that's kind of to be expected. Right. Um, but yeah, it was very frustrating. I wouldn't say it was a real big turnoff from from like school or anything like that. It was more just, oh, this is something I've just got to deal with now. This is just part of my life. And the thing is, is around the time I started suffering from derealization episodes, which uh, derealization, I'm sure you know this as someone who's worked in mental health, but like derealization is a, it's a type of dissociation where like the world feels like a simulation. Honestly, the worst thing I've ever experienced in my life. Like I cannot, like I would take the seizures over that any day. That's how bad it was. Um, Which they eventually went away when I went on my third medication, but that was some real shit. What was that like? Like, cause I don't know if you can even, des- can you even describe that? So I've come up with analogies before, but it's very hard. So which I, I once dis- I once used this analogy to someone who I know also suffers from derealization and they were like, this is the perfect, like this, you fucking yeah. said it perfectly. Um, but I, I've said this analogy to people who've never suffered from it. And it's like, you can kind of get it, but it, it doesn't, yeah. you don't have the personal input. So the way I describe it is, if you imagine a room, but the ceiling has been removed and instead of a ceiling, you've got a ladder that's lying across and it's sort of rested on the walls and you're lying on the ladder and you're looking through it and you can reach through and interact with the room, but you're not there. Oh, wow. That's kind that's of how trippy. it, right. That's kind of how it was like, it was just, it's so, it, it was so weird. It's I. it's so hard. Like it's how I'd imagine like being in some like, being on DMT would be like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, it's just so bizarre. Cause it was just like, it's not like being zoned out. Like how I would imagine, how I would imagine like, like taking weed would be, yeah. I've never done that. So I wouldn't know. Um, but <laughs> it, it, it's just, cause I don't know. Cause you like, you know, you're there. You just, everything doesn't feel real. No. Like it's just, I don't even know how to describe it's, it's it. It's trippy though. Yeah. It's trippy. Yeah, like even like um, imagining it, I, I feel like you would like, I feel like if someone were to um, like do acid or something like that, and then you were to explain that, I feel like that's the best they way that they would get it. Right. They probably get it. But I feel like you need that at um, Like, I feel like you would almost need that added like thing of like experience. And I feel like you yeah. could only probably do it with something. But like, I think so that was also like, part holy of, shit. 
that was part of what was really isolating about it was like people yeah. didn't get it. Like people knew I was suffering from it, but like you can't you can't tell on the outside. Yeah. And it would come and go randomly. Like sometimes it would be if I had a seizure, it would come or go. I remember one time taking a sip of alcohol and just feeling myself return to reality. It was the most bizarre feeling. Like it was like a sudden rush, like, like holy shit. And it would just and, and you know, for me, I would have it maybe a couple of weeks at a time before it went away. The uh, someone I know who has it has literally suffered from it like solidly for like five years at this point oh. i don't i would i can't even fathom that like there would be i just yeah it was, it was horrible it was the worst thing um so yeah i was having all this random shit come along with the epilepsy which all eventually went away when yeah. i mean i still have the memory problems but like the the derealization and most of the seizures went away when i was uh when i went on carbamazepine that's good. You know what I just thought of when you gave that analogy? It reminds me of Inception, yeah. right? Where everything feels Kinda, real. Kinda, yeah. Like but, that's what. Uh, I, especially like towards the end, where he he he's wondering whether or not he's in real life or not, and he just sets the spinning top yeah. going. That's yeah. I would have needed a totem, just be like yeah, like some kind of totem to know. But that's what it reminds me of, which is just surreal. Yeah. Like that's like the best way I think of like, oh my god, would I be in a real world or not? Uh, yeah. That's so crazy. Um, yeah. Yeah, um, you mentioned that the seizures are mostly when it would. Do you still have seizures? Like, is this something that yeah. still happens? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. Not uh, n like the seizures that I had at like the peak worst. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't really have seizures that bad. Like, I, okay. I haven't had seizures that bad since then. But I do still get seizures. Like. Um, once every couple of months or so, like there'll be a week where I have a lot of seizure activity. So sometimes like I won't have a full seizure, but I'll feel like I'm almost edging on a seizure, like for lack of a better term. <laughs> um, uh, and like, I'll have like random flashes. And yeah. so I'll be like, okay, I can expect to have one this week or something like that. Cause usually I'll be able to tell if, if I was going to have one uh, in sometime in the next few days. Um, so yeah, I still I still get them, but they're they're usually ones where I, I like remain conscious. So they're kind of like on the scale of seizures near the bottom. Okay. So what I was going to ask you, like especially doing, um, well, I mean, right now it's probably a very weird thing because of COVID and like probably working completely from home. But working in broadcast in general, and if you're traveling to events, I imagine having a seizure is a very poor time. To, has that ever happened? Has it? Is it something no. you're ever worried about? Because I feel like I would be terrified of that happening all the time. I have really lucked out. I've never had a seizure on broadcast. I there was one day on EUL where I had had some like seizure activity and I got on for rehearsals for for the first bit and I said to them like the people you know my my coworkers yeah. and I was like, look guys like. I'm on seizure watch today. So there is a chance that I will have to dip very suddenly if that happens. Um, just bear that in mind, but like it didn't end up happening. Um, but that's kind of the most that that's been a thing. Luckily, mm -hmm. I don't know if maybe, maybe one day I'll, I'll get unlucky and it will happen, but usually I know if it's going to happen, like I'll get enough warning. So I would probably be able to do something about it or at least like not be on a microphone or something, but it would probably look weird to a broadcast if I suddenly disappeared or something like oh, that. Yeah. I, you can explain retroactively, but um, yeah, no, I've, I've never had that. The worst, I mean, to be honest, the bigger fear is not so much the fear of having a seizure or broadcast, because at the end of the day, if that happened, epilepsy is a fairly well understood That's thing. True. And so an audience would probably get it, right? Mm -hmm. The worst part is oftentimes if you have a seizure, you need a couple of days to recover. 
and I don't necessarily have a couple of days to give. (laughs) So that's more what I would be worried about if it was like, oh, I've got to stay in bed for like three days because like my brain is so fried from the fact that it it's broken. Um, can't yeah. cast sorry like that would be worse in my opinion but yeah uh, I, I could see yeah. that i could see that so uh i want to jump back to this rare encephalitis um oh, that, that yeah classic yeah <laughs> classy <laughs> like, I, uh, we're getting all the bad stuff out of the way now um yeah like all in one go right um yeah. but I, I actually wanted to ask you um because like when you first get diagnosed with first of all they didn't tell you they tried to like sugarcoat and like they secretly did, yeah. trying to like probe into you and then you googled it and like WebMD came up like oh shit you could die in a month with this thing what was that moment like where you first google that and you see that because that's a pretty extreme thing and then I mean, that's this- confirming too that that's what they're actually looking for so so the worst part for me was actually after coming out of the first hospital appointment, even though I didn't know the specific thing they were looking for, because this type of encephalitis in women is associated with tumors in the ovaries. Yeah. So for me, my first thought was, fuck, I might have cancer. So originally that was like the encephalitis wasn't even something I was concerned about. Um, it was the, I might have cancer. cancer. And I, yeah. remember, I remember like walking out of the hospital. Uh, so it was St. Thomas's hospital in London, if anyone knows that. And I crossed the road and I called my dad and I just like cried. I just burst into tears. And I remember one of the really prominent things I thought was I'm 21. This shouldn't be happening to me. And it was that fear of like, I'm going to be one of those people who dies at 21. Like that was... And that was a very real feeling. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I had to go and have an, an ultrasound um, to check for tumors. Um, and, you know, I had a friend who'd had ultrasounds to check for tumors on her ovaries before. And I remember speaking to her about that. And she told me about some of her symptoms, none of which I'd ever had. So that started to make me feel a bit better. So I wasn't too concerned about the ultrasound when it actually rolled around. I think it was like the next week, something like that. Um so when I was clear for that, like no tumors, all good. Uh, that's when I started to look at this next part. Um, and it was when I found, I think it might have even been a Wikipedia page, something like that. When I found it, say, associated with ovarian tumors in women, I was like, this is exactly what they're looking for. Um, and it's called NMDA receptor encephalitis. And I found it originally because they told me that I had too many NMDA antibodies um, in my blood. Mm-hmm. So I Googled that um, and, uh, you know, found it from that. And yeah, I, I said to them when I next saw them, I was like, I know this is what you're looking for. Um, super I, daunting. Like, and go on. I was going to ask you, see, you're someone who comes across very strong all the time. Were, were you this strong then too? Were you like, or were you freaking oh, the terrified. fuck out? Oh, no, I was fucking terrified. I like, honestly, um, I, when I was younger, I had kind of bad health anxiety. I was a bit of a hypochondriac. Um, I've never really had any major medical things until the epilepsy thing came along. And I wasn't scared about the epilepsy thing because it, it's fucking epilepsy. Yeah. Like, um, But this was like, you know, especially with NMDA receptor encephalitis, it was discovered in 2003. It's super rare. Not many people have had it. And the prognosis isn't great. Um, And even the people who do get cured, it's like you've got to go on like immunoglobulins, can't say it, globulins, (laughs) um, you know, immunosuppressants, be in a hospital room for two months. 
And I was like, yeah. I can't be in a hospital room for two months. Like I have a, I have a life to live. Like what the fuck am I meant to do? Um, so even like the, the, the more positive end of the prognosis was yeah. not something I wanted to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, but the more negative end of course was like, you start with flu-like symptoms, then you start hallucinating and getting like uh, psychotic symptoms and then you get catatonic and then you die. And I was like, I could be dead within a month. Yeah. A month. And I'm 21. And it was like that fear of like, I might die of a disease that no one has heard of and there's nothing I can do about it. It's not, I got myself here. It's not, oh, this is something that is really common and at least the healthcare system knows loads about it. This is a, fuck, this is rare. I've never heard of this before. Also, my mum had encephalitis when I was a kid. So like, I'm not, you know, I'm certainly not super naive to how, how that was. Um... And uh, I don't know, I was fucking terrified. I was a mess, an utter mm-hmm. mess. Um, and obviously I had to go and have this lumbar puncture, which they're not fun. But um, those are very painful. Uh, it's a really weird type of pain. Like it, because the needle is very long and thin. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously it goes right. They actually put it, they, they mark two sites on your spine um, just in case one doesn't work. And yeah, they put it in the first one and it didn't work. So they had to put it in the other one. So I got to have it twice. Oh. And it's more just the feeling of like, it goes in and it be, be, obviously like the actual distance it goes in is not very far, but the way, what it feels like is it's just going and going and going. And it feels like ice cold, but also really hot at the same time. And it's just like, Oh, just a horrible oh. feeling. Um, but the funny, I had my best friend there with me at the time and we were making, we were cracking so many jokes. I actually made the doctor who was doing the lumbar puncture laugh. Um, but we were cracking so many jokes that we got told off because we were in a semi-private hospital room and we got told off because there are a lot of people there having serious procedures and we were being inappropriate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean... <laughs> um, but, Bitch, um, I might die in a month. I don't care. Yeah, literally that. <laughs> right. Um, oh, <laughs> God. Imagine saying that. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was funny. Oh. Um, and then I had to do the recovery of that on my own because my flatmate was conveniently in Portugal that week. And uh, you can't really stand. Like the recovery of a lumbar puncture is is honestly one of the, the worst experiences I've ever had. It's horrible. You can't stand up. You can't sit up. You can't really do anything. Like you've got to check to see if your back is leaking cerebral spinal fluid because if it is, you've got to go to A&E because they've yeah. got to do an epidural and p- basically plug the hole in your spine. Um, and I would like the dural headaches that you get from lumbar punctures are so painful that I would go to sleep crying every night. Like it was just horrible, man. Um, and so that on top of everything wasn't great. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's, that's insane. So this moment where life could be, uh, cause I, I feel like I can relate uh, a little bit only when I chopped off my fingers. Right. And I was like young and I, I wasn't really in like, I stuck my hand in a snowblower and like, you think that you're going to die. I was, I was okay. Fucking idiot. What? Okay. There's a long story that is good that you can watch later on, uh, but okay. like, there's a lot more justifying to it than that. But I okay. felt like I was going to die though. And I felt like my yeah. life was over. Right. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Like su- it very suddenly hits you. It's like, yeah, it's like, but it changes you too, right? Like, I feel like you, you don't walk away with that without being a different person. So how do you think that that changed you? Yeah. 
I was going to say, imagine that, but going on for like four or five months. That's, <laughs> that's, uh, well, I, and while also mom, having to study for my final exams of my third why year. Why didn't you drop? Why didn't you take a medical leave? I that wanted, I wanted an out. Option, right? I wanted out of uni. By that point, I decided I didn't want to stay in university anymore. Oh. So like, I was like, I want to get out of the way. I want to be done because at that point I decided I wanted to go into esports. So I was like, I'm not going to do my master's degree. I'm going to leave. Um, and I, what, you know, whatever. Uh, but I, yeah, I didn't want to, I didn't want to like put off a year. I didn't have, I wasn't working. Mm-hmm. I didn't work while I was in uni. I didn't have a job that would allow me to keep my house. Yeah. Um, so because, you know, unlike a lot of American students, like we don't, we don't live with our families when we go to uni and I have my own home in London. I, 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 just so you know, just so you know, most American students who I know also don't live with their families. Really? <laughs> just, that oh, is yeah, so... No. Yeah, oh my depends. God, that is anathema yeah. to everything I've heard. Yeah, no, uh, I I don't know very many people who actually did live with their families. Um, wow, most yeah. people I know do. They still live with their parents, and I'm like, yeah. no, I, mean, I you, want it out. If you, if you can, you should, but no, like when I was 18, no, I moved that. out. and <laughs> Basically, the only people who would still live at home were locals who were going to the school there. That's about yeah. the only people, but everyone else who I knew would either... Um, uh, go and do uh, the dorm lives, uh, which mm-hmm. they basically got. But you have raked to share over. a room. Yeah, you have to share a room, but you also get raked over Ludicrous. the coals because it's more expensive than to actual rent someplace normally, uh, depending on where you are. Because why don't you how- just rent a normal house then? Uh, well, okay, so some schools do this weird thing where they force you into the dorms, like your first two years of... Co- I kid you the fuck not. They force you into it for, like, uh, okay. your your first two years. Um, so sometimes that happens. Um, but, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, I... There are some people do... I'm just letting you know it's not everyone, okay? Like, right, I, okay. I... Just... Uh, just uh, the, I, I understand that I've we have different... Learned. Yeah, yeah, we're just... just I'm just trying to teach you because, you know, like everyone thinks that like the UK is like perfect for like schooling and everything oh, like no, that. No, no, I, no, no, that, no, 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 That's I know that's that's what I mean. It's like we have preconceived bias because we live in uh, in different areas. But that's that's understandable. Um, so uh, kind of going onwards, you have this moment of how did it change you like this? This moment of I is there a bug in your room? <laughs> Yeah, okay, a, I wasn't sure flag. if it was my screen right, I got or it, yours. I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. <laughs> I wasn't sure. But how did it change you? Like, did you start to reevaluate what you were going to do with your life? Did that cause you to say, I better live my life like it's it last? Or... Right, so, I mean, I had never been a really big risk taker um, on, a, on a really large scale. Uh, and the big thing that I did was leave university. For me, that's like, it was the biggest risk that I've ever made. I didn't really have a plan. I had never casted. And I was like, I'm going to go to esports. Like for me, it was like, right, I'm just going to do this for me. Yeah. And that was it. Like taking my first steps into the career that I have now was what changed for me. The fact that I was just like, I, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. Um, that's that's kind of okay so i want to i want to ask it's a pretty big jump i think to go from uh theoretical physics to to esports was esports something that was kind of like always on your mind that were you really passionate about it was it something you watched a lot of 
Well, I mean, I'd always wanted to work in gaming, um, yeah. or at least for a long time, I'd wanted to work in gaming. And I really got into esports at the start of 2018. I was familiar with it before then. I have friends who would watch, who would, during our lectures, would sit and watch Dota and League of Legends, but I was never into MOBAs. So I was very much a first person shooter person, and my <laughs> friends weren't. So I was naively under the impression that there weren't really FPS esports, <laughs> which is just <laughs> insane. Yes. Um, and it was when the Overwatch League inaugural season started that I found my my esport that I started watching and getting really into. Um, and then I was like, "Yeah, I could fucking do this because like this is this basically amalgamates all of my skill sets." Yeah. Because um, obviously, something to bear in mind is that when I got this, or just uh, it was around the time that I got this that whole medical scare arise, because um, I had a I'd secured an internship at a very big global financial company. Doing what were you going to do there? Finance, business and finance. Interesting. Okay. And make, I would have made a shit ton of money. Um, and I, very hard to get those internships. Yeah. And I, I emailed them one day and I was like, I want to break my contract. Like, I don't want to do it. So at this point I was like, I left the internship that I hadn't even started yet, but I was contracted for. Um, I had started getting into esports. I had this huge medical scare and I knew where my skill sets were. And I was like, this is something I could do. This is something I would enjoy doing. And this combines everything I fucking love to do. I'm just going to do it. <laughs> I'm just going to do it. That's, um, I like, I like, I appreciate, that's what I appreciate about you though, is that, that you just, you're like, you know, I'm just going to do it. Cause that's how I felt about like a lot of things. So I was like, yeah. well, there's a will, there's a way I could basically like when I first got into esports, that's basically what my thought process was. It was like, I want to work with players and their mental well-being, and I'll figure a way to do it. So I went to school and I started my, like I worked my own business. I worked in mental health and I just sidestepped. I was like, this is how I'm going to do it. Yeah. I'll find my way. Cause I, I, I need money, unfortunately too. Cause I, I don't have enough money to, to just go on it. Um, which, um, you know, is, is just how it is. Um, mm. but yeah, no, I think that that's, that's that this mentality of just being able to do it, I think is really great. And I think that more yeah. people should kind of have that. I think it's a good mentality to just generally have, um, like I, I was gonna, I was gonna go in without a plan. Uh, um, I was like, all right, well, I will just live off my savings for a while. Um, Interestingly, the thing that made me the most comfortable about it was that I was I had a degree. So if everything went wrong, I have one of the most employable degrees you can have. And I had no doubts that I would be able to get a job with it. So like I knew, okay, if it all goes tits up, like I'm I'm still fine. If I didn't have a degree, I think I would have felt a lot less confident about yeah. that. Um but I remember speaking to my dad about it. I was like, this is what I'm gonna do. And he was like, would really rather you didn't spend all your savings doing this. I will just pay your salary and your rent and everything for like the next six months. And like, you just spend your time. Oh, working. damn. That's awesome. Right. Which is why I said at the beginning that like, I don't necessarily like to tell people, yeah. Oh, here's how I did it. Because like, not everyone has that, uh, has that option. Um, and I, I would never have asked him for that. And I was really taken aback that he, he, was willing to do that for me. Yeah. Um, but it meant that from the get-go, I could work on it full time, like from the very beginning. Yeah. And I didn't have to balance it with a job. I didn't have to balance it with uni. I didn't have to worry about anything like that. I could just solidly work on it. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that works out really well. So, kind of jumping to your dad a little bit, because I, I, I kind of avoided talking about him a lot of this time. Um, one of the things that you've said is uh, your dad has helped you to teach uh, teach you to think critically. Um, yeah. He encouraged your love for politics, music, gaming, art, and academia. Um, and he even gave up his job for COVID, um, which I guess is he something did, that yeah. you, you talked about. So, how integral is he to your life? Because he sounds like, it seems like oh. you take a lot of the skills... From your my dad. dad and I are very similar people. I'd say the biggest difference between my dad and me is that uh, I would say he's probably a bit more introverted than I am, but I am like queen of the extroverts. So like, yeah, everyone's more introverted than me. Um, my dad and I are very similar. And yeah, it's, it's true. He, he, he definitely did teach me how to think critically because like when I first started getting interested in politics around the age of 13, my, you know, a lot of people are influenced by their parents' beliefs. Yeah. Um, my dad never really presented his beliefs. He just, he just spoke to me and taught me how to assess what I was listening to and form my own. And once yeah. I started to form my own, then he would talk to me about his beliefs and we would debate them and discuss them um, and stuff like that. And we had things that we differed on and things that we didn't. And it was, you know, it, it, it was really good because it meant that I wasn't, I didn't grow up being mini him. I grew up forming my own opinions. Yeah. Um, and yeah, my dad, you know, he loved that I worked hard at school and he really encouraged that. He thought it was really cool that I was doing physics, but also he's very creative. He He's good at art and music and likes those things. And mm -hmm. he likes to invest time and, and whatever in those things. Um, yeah. And so the fact that, that I was interested in that, like he was willing to also invest not just time, but, but money in allowing both me and my brother to be able to do those things as well. Um, like he saw a lot of value in, in investing in things you care about, hobbies you care about, interests yeah. you care about and stuff like that. Um, and uh, yeah, he, I mean, he's been hugely integral because he was always very supportive. And like, whenever people are like, oh, cause my, my dad's 65. Well, he's, he's nearly 65. And a lot of people are like, oh, you know, how did you tell your parents about esports? I'm like, fucking, my dad didn't know what esports was before I did. Are you kidding me? My dad, my dad built his new gaming PC earlier on this year and his specs outdo mine, like fucking crazy. Like my dad, he's a gamer boys. Like he, uh, no, like my dad's, my dad's very cool. And, and I've never once had to explain anything I do, not just esports, not nice. just gaming, anything like that. I've never had to explain anything I do to him because he's been very interested in, in similar things. And we just have a very similar way of thinking about the world and a very similar way of talking about things and stuff like that. So we've always been very much on the same wavelength from that perspective. My mom is like, I don't know. I think the story of, of my mom and, and my journey into esports is really wholesome because, um, you know, she's certainly no stranger to gaming. She, I mean, it was always at her house when we were like three and playing PS1 games and stuff. Yeah. Like that was in my mom's house, right? You know, um, she sort of watched us grow up gaming and, and for birthday presents would buy us games consoles and whatever, stuff like that. Uh, she was never herself into gaming. And for her, when I, you know, first said, like, I, I want to be doing this, she didn't fully get it because it wasn't a part of a, a universe that she was a part of. But I very specifically remember when I went to CWL 2019, which was in May um, 2019, and posting stuff on, because I post a lot of photos on Facebook. It's like the only thing I use Facebook for. Um, and my mum, you know, 
up until this point, she'd supported what I was doing. She, she'd never not supported it, but she, it, she, she didn't fully get it. Yeah. Uh, but she messaged me and she was like, I get it. She was like, I totally get it. Cause my mom's really into sports. And she was like, what you get out of esports is what I get out of sports, like going yeah. to a sporting event. I totally get it now. And I, she was like, I want to come to an event with you. And I was like, okay, let's do it. Um, and since that point, she's been so like, and the thing is, I would try and get her to watch some Overwatch stuff. She never fully clicked with Overwatch, but when she started watching Siege at the beginning of this year, oh my god, she loves it. I mean, she loves Siege. That's, that's impressive because they're both very complicated. Like I would say, out of right. all the games you could watch, those like are the probably the two hardest. Yeah. yeah, the two hardest. Um, um, and and she, you know, throughout EUL, she would be watching every day, and she would message me about them. And I got, I was just, I got to the point where she would be saying stuff to me about the players and I'd be passing it on to them. And I'd be like, you know what woman, just make a Twitter so you can talk to them directly. So now she's become a little bit of a, like, especially in, in the EU scene, a bit of a cult Twitter account. Cause that's, she that's loves great. Rogue. She loves Leon Gids and Rogue. And um, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no, that's, like it's that's really, still awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, no, it's really cool. So this kind of brings me to another topic. It, it kind of segues a little bit into your casting career. Your career, I would say, is probably one of the fastest moving <laughs> careers, honest to God. In And I think this is probably one of the reasons that Thorin kind of knows you and even tweeted out that mm-hmm. like one of the best not upcoming casting. Your career is very, very quick. Um, yeah. And it's impressive. Uh, but one of the things you mentioned actually in your Thorne interview, which I kind of want to talk to a little about, um, you mentioned on his reflection saying you have doubts about feelings. You're good about what you're doing. And maybe that actually you're not that there was a time where you were working and you were like, oh, maybe I'm good, but maybe I'm not because things aren't actually working out as quickly, even though you have one of the quickest careers in existence. <laughs> but um, I think this is a really interesting concept because I think this is something that I struggle with a lot where I've been told with people who've been on the like this show being like, Blake, you're honestly one of the best interviews she's ever interviewed me. And I'm like, well, that means a lot, but I don't have anything to show for it other than this great interview, which I appreciate and I love this. But like, I feel like that's something that a lot of people actually have to go through um, and deal with that uh, to a degree. Like, uh, I don't know if you know Captain Flowers from League of Legends. I know the name. He's a really big caster. So I knew him before he was in Riot. And he was, I would say... He was really, really good before he got in, and but mm-hmm. it took him, I think, a year and a half, and like them doing interviews with him for like a year and a half with him before they would even bring him on, um, and he would I, cast every day. So I can understand that like feeling of sometimes it's just a pain. For me, I, I mean, again, comes I guess down to the fact that like there'd never been anything before where I hadn't been able to do if I yeah. wanted to, and so I sort of came in, and this is maybe not the best way to think about things, but I came in as like. And there's always going to be part of me that feels this way, even though I I know to the contrary, but I don't really believe in luck, right? I believe that if you're good enough, genuinely good enough, and you know what you're doing and you understand, and it comes back to the intuition thing, right? You will get there. So for me, I had this association with how good you are is linearly proportional to how fast you make it, because if you're good enough, they will want you. Yeah, right? I agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that. It's interesting because one of the big reasons why I had that proven wrong to me, and it took me, even though I could see the evidence of it, it took me a long time to accept that this was the case. Um, so I was in a in a relationship with a guy who is a caster. Yeah. And um what, you know, one of the really big frustrating things for me was was just 
not seeing those results as fast as I wanted to. And, and like, he was very much doing the exact gigs that I wanted to be doing and stuff like that. And it wasn't that I, I resented that or anything. It was just that I, he got into his job very quickly. And I remember thinking like, why isn't that happening for me? Am I, yeah. am I the only person who thinks I'm good? Like, like, what is this? Well, I, and on a side note, just a second there. I think that I, I think for both of us and correct me if I'm wrong, it's much better to think that I'm the issue. So that way I can work on myself and fix the problems than to think that like blaming the entire world around you. I feel like that's yeah. Oh I'm my at. God. Yeah, definitely. Like I, I, I'm really guilty of beating myself up if something isn't going the way I want, because I'll yeah. always be like, Oh, it's because I'm not being good enough. Right. Yeah. Um, and being in that relationship and being in that situation, it really like, it forced me where I had to come to see things differently. Um, and also like, you know, so there, there are definitely many different things that were going into it. You know, there's the fact that Overwatch at the time, like where it was at, there weren't really an abundance of yeah. opportunities in Overwatch. It doesn't matter how good you were. That's just the yeah. way it was because there wasn't really upwards, any upwards movement into the Overwatch League. So the people who were in contenders and stuff like that were... Uh, just there um and stuff like that and uh for me like you know i mentioned earlier about being really stubborn the biggest thing i was very stubborn about was i want to work in overwatch and that is it i'm not going to work in any other games i'm not interested that's not what i want to do and a really big point of growth for me like looking back is my gradual acceptance and even desire to start looking at other games and start not seeing overwatch as this perfect beacon of light that uh, that's the only light into which I wanted to walk. And that's the only place I wanted to be when I started to become okay. And, and interested in the idea of being somewhere else, uh, that was a real turning point of how healthy my mindset was for me. And obviously I ended up somewhere else and I'm really happy with where I am. Um, and I remember one of my friends who she's a player manager, so she's in esports. She turned around to me once at some point in 2019, probably about halfway through, and she was like, your problem isn't being bad. Your problem isn't where these people are at. Your problem isn't yeah. whatever. Your problem is Overwatch. Yeah. And I remember at the time being like, pfft, pfft, no. <laughs> Uh, no, she was right. She turned out to be right. I actually saw her like last week and we were talking about it in the back of an Uber and she was like, no, I told you I was right. Yeah. I was the first person to see it. And I was like, yeah, you were. I was so fixated on this idea of making an Overwatch that I really like didn't allow myself to get into a like a healthier place and 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 whatever and stuff like that. And for me, it was a really big like point of growth to be able to get to that point and be willing to move away. And when I made the executive decision to turn my back on Overwatch, my door just opened, uh, to turn my back on Overwatch, like that was a huge moment for me. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say that that's probably a great moment. Uh, I, I've always been very skeptical of Overwatch, even when I worked in it. I was like, like, no, if, and I've talked to a lot of different people. I mean, like, I love it. I love yeah. the eSport. I think it's great. And like, I, you know, there are people who shit on the Overwatch League. I don't have negative opinions on the Overwatch League like some people do. I really don't. Yeah. It was more like from a personal perspective, it was the right decision for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I, I feel like I, I hope it does well, but uh, I have some very like I just worry about like what happens if Overwatch does 
really bad just because of how much money went into it and the, the the broader consequences of that but i actually think rainbow six is a very healthy scene and has a very it, the way that it's been built up feels very natural and not yeah, like supplemented organic. yeah ver- and i like that i'm a very big fan of like organic growth comparative to inorganic growth um so like i think yeah. that's probably probably a good thing and i think that there is some some room to grow for for rainbow and i think rainbow's a great game to be honest so um i wish i understood it more yeah. but I, I don't at all so um, <laughs> <I> mean, same <laughs> you should understand it a little bit more than me i'm hoping i'm hoping a little bit of maybe a little bit a little bit um, uh so <laughs> One of the things I kind of wanted to talk to you about um, is I think that you're very outspoken, and this I would say this is a good thing, not as a bad thing, about like politics. You're not the first um, person to have said it. Yeah, um, it's, it's not a bad thing. Outspoken gets sound. It is a very negative connotation. I feel like even though it isn't okay, but um, mm-hmm. you're very outspoken about like politics or different beliefs. On uh, I've seen you mention things about like healthcare and stuff like that. I've seen you mention things on like the Black Lives Matter movement, um, which mm-hmm. kudos to you for doing that. Um, and it's always a weird spot. I feel like for a lot of casters being in the public eye doing this because you have a bunch of stupid people who say you can't speak your mind on this, which. Doesn't make any sense if you believe in democracy uh, by like definition, <laughs> kind of. But uh, whatever. So right. how, how do you deal with that, though? Because, I mean, you're putting yourself out there uh, potentially for a lot of hate um, for something that you believe in. Well, for me personally, I haven't really had much of an experience with people being like, oh, stick to casting. You know what I mean? Like, I've actually avoided that somehow. Oh, um, I know there are definitely some people who who get a real brunt of that. Uh, but I mean, if someone turned around to me and said that, I'd be like, fuck off. <laughs> like, I have the right to vote. I have the right to talk about politics. I don't give a shit who I am <laughs> or what my job is. Um, but, you know, I, I try to... So... <laughs> You wouldn't be able to find anything now because like uh, I, you know, did a purge on my Twitter however long ago. But, um, you know, back in 2014-ish to about, no, maybe a bit later than that, 2015, 2016, 2017, Mm -hmm. my Twitter was mostly politics. Mostly politics. Uh, Yeah. Um, But very like partisan politics. I mean, like normal politics as well. But like I was very involved in politics in university and even before then. And I was very interested in like the actual political system in the UK and stuff. So it's like I definitely have my my party biases and things like that. And uh, and there are a lot of elections and referendums in those years, if anyone remembers those. so, you know, I would talk about specific things like that rather than general issues. These days, I try to not be too contentious because at, at the end of the day, it pisses people off and you don't gain much from it. Yeah. So with things like Black Lives Matter, it's like, OK, that's a really important social issue. Yeah. I actually went to one of the Black Lives Matter protests here in London, which I didn't post about on social media. That wasn't because I didn't want to offend people. It was more because I didn't want to be self-congratulatory. Yeah, um, That's but, always a weird um, spot of like... Like, do I do I showcase this to the world so more people see it? Or is it just something that is like reaffirming uh, that I'm yeah. doing this thing? It's a really weird thing. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that was. That was, uh, you know, it was a it was a it was a good day and it was it felt like I was a part of something and I 
uh, was really, you know, obviously from the perspective of like when you go to something like that in your city and seeing like the people who are in the yeah. same place as you and like the people who you share a city with all standing up for the same things. And like, you know, you, like people marching down the road and you've got cars driving the other way all beeping their horns in solidarity. It's like stuff like that. And you kind of feel like you're a part of something. And um, I felt like that was a really important thing. Um, but you know i've said some inflammatory things like i i did oh i don't want to drag it up too much i did some tweet about um it wasn't about the american flag i really screwed up how i worded it and a lot of people got angry at me for it mm. uh, because people misinterpreted what i meant but that was kind of my fault because i yeah. i'd worded it badly um because you know people don't like to feel like their country is being insulted right and yeah. I, I and i definitely said some some inflammatory things about um american patriotism um and especially after that tweet i was like i'm gonna dial it back a bit because i didn't gain anything from this i gained like a decent number of retweets but like i also gained a lot of people in my community like getting angry at me yeah. when i i didn't really gain anything from that um but yeah, for stuff like, you know, if someone says to me, do you think that healthcare should be free? Like, yes, I do. And I'm going to say yeah. that, but I don't see that as a huge statement. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I love talking about politics with people, but in recent times I've tried to, because I know that I will fall down the rabbit hole. I know that about myself because I love politics so much. Did so you ever think about doing anything in, in politics? Was that something that ever thought your mind, yeah. like oh, working yeah. in politics? For for a really long time, my plan was to go forward, have my career, and then run as an MP in the UK, like after my career. So it was always, I want to go into politics, but after I've had a career first, because politics is one of the very few things where you don't need to go in at a specific time. You don't need a specific qualification. You don't really need anything. And in fact, it, it almost helps if you've had a career first. Yeah. Because I would like... At the time I wanted to like, oh, I wanted to represent a specific party. Whereas now, if you if you ask me to like pick a party, I'd be like, oh God, I hate them all I know. at the moment in the UK. Um, but I think working for a certain department as a civil servant would be kind of cool. Like, uh, I don't know which department, probably like education, healthcare, something like that. Yeah. Um, that would be fun. But I, that we'll see if I, if I get there. But I still, you know, if... Uh, if esports ended tomorrow, like politics is 300% something that I'd be interested in going into. Nice. Um, okay. I have another hard question, kind of. Um, 2020 okay. has been one hell of a year for just like everything, right? We had we had COVID, we had um, Black Lives Matter. Um, one of the things that came up was um, kind of the way that women were treated, both in gaming and different things. Oh, you had the yeah. sexual you had the sexual assault allegations all coming out there um, towards these people, um, which has been like. I feel like it's not an unknown issue. It just kind of got brought to light. Like, I feel like a lot of people, um, it's like a big like cleanse. It, yeah. Like almost like a big cleanse. Um, but I actually had, um, um, Sam on here, uh, last week, um, tech girl from, uh, mm -hmm. uh South Africa. And one of the things that she mentioned was, I, I know her very well. Uh, she's very nice. I really liked her. Uh, one of the things that she mentioned oh, yeah. in esports in e and gaming is being a woman, she was basically told uh, you have to either go into the room making everyone call you a bitch or you have to flirt. That That's what she was kind of told growing up uh, because it's just not fair in the way that women are treated, uh, which is a hell of a way Jesus. to... 
Yeah, basically, we like someone. One of her bosses told her that is like, hey, and it was. I think it was for journalism technically, but she was like, it basically applied to esports as well. Um, what do you think yep. is like one of the fundamental problems with like e- like how do we clean clean esports so it is better for women? Um, I guess that's the question. Right. I always will hold that I think I'm the wrong person to ask because I have not ever had the sorts of experiences that I hear other people having, um, which obviously I'm very grateful for, but I've never been sexually assaulted. Um, I've never, like, I'm, I'm very... I don't know. It's really, it's really hard to say because like I get you know, weird comments and stuff, but they don't phase me. I'm very like, I'm very not bothered by a lot of things. And obviously if someone's actually sold to me, then like, I'm going to be bothered by that. Yeah. Uh, but it's like when people make comments to me, like that doesn't matter, especially it's like on social media, I kind of floor my sexuality a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I'm very in control of that. Um, but you know, that said, like, that doesn't mean that people who don't form their sexuality are, like, bad at dealing with these things. It, like, you shouldn't have yeah. to put up with that kind of thing. But it's just, like, uh, I don't know. It's weird. So, like, for me, I always say, like, the the worst thing in esports about being a woman, for me, is... Um, oftentimes the positive discrimination because I found very early in my career and even like midway into my career that a lot of people would want to push me into hosting because hosting is seen as the woman's role. Uh, I never wanted to be a host. I was always a caster. Not, I'm not interested in hosting. I never have been. Um, and I hated feeling like my male counterparts would have the opportunity to do the job that they'd been working for without yeah. question. Whereas like I was automatically being picked for these other jobs that I didn't want. Um, and to a lot of people, you know, they're kind of like, how, how could you throw those opportunities away? You could get into esports really quick and make a shit ton of money, especially as hosts make more money than casters on average. Um, and I was like, that's not what I'm here for. Yeah. I came into esports to do specifically what I wanted to do. I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to compromise on that just for a quick buck or quick fame. Like I just, I'm not interested in, in just arbitrarily getting famous quickly. I'm here because I want to do the job that I find fulfilling. And I found that to be really frustrating. And like, that's one of the really nice things about being in Siege is that like Ubisoft face it, like they never... They never like, I've never seen them do that. I've never yeah. seen them kind of like take that into account and be like, oh, she's a woman, therefore she's got to be a host. Like they never yeah. second guessed me as a, as a caster. Yeah. They never did. That's what they straight up came to me for. And that's what I'm seen as. And they not tried to like turn that into something else. But there have been, there have been like, you know, TOs or whoever who, who definitely have been like, oh yeah, we, we want her or like that, you know, there'll be certain or whatever that you hear um you hear things about how it's like oh you know they really want a, a woman on the talent lineup so like we'll hire we'll hire one to be a stage host because it's the easiest role to hire a woman for and it's like that's not to take power away from the women who are stage hosts because it's a fucking hard job holy shit i stage hosted once never again i mean first and foremost it's not my role but like you have the most responsibility of anyone on on a broadcast if you're the stage host and it's hard. It's difficult, but I don't like, I hated this idea that there was like, there were roles that were more suited yeah. to women and people, sorry, I keep moving on my chair, okay. by the way. Um, people, people would like, 
you know, be like, oh yeah, we're like helping women get into esports. And I'm like, but I'm a caster. Like, you're not helping me. It's not that I want special treatment to get into casting. It's that I don't want to be in a situation where I'm going to get pigeonholed yeah. into, a, into something else. For me, that was that was always the biggest issue about being a woman in esports. Um, and I know for a lot of people, it is a lot more about how they're treated by men or like this sexual assault stuff, but that's just not in my experience. Yeah. Um, so I... I, I can't really talk about that sort of thing. And that's not me saying it doesn't happen because it yeah. evidently does. I just, for whatever reason, and I don't know what it is, but for whatever reason, like I have been lucky enough to avoid those things or to, to not. And that maybe at some point it will happen. You don't know. I, hope you know, not. I really hope not. Me too. Right. <laughs> I hope not too, but you never know like who it's going to be or when it's going to be. Cause it could be anyone. Yeah. Um, it just, uh, as it stands has not been me. And so I, I haven't felt like I've had to change my personality, you know, in you know, going back to what Sam said, like, I haven't felt like I've had to change my personality. I haven't felt like I've had to pretend. I haven't felt like I've had to flirt with people. I haven't felt like I've had to accept being seen as a bitch. I haven't felt like any of those things. I haven't felt like I've been sexually mistreated, anything like that. Um, I just, oh, cat. He jumped I, uh, on top of my computer. My my apologies. <laughs> um, and judging by other people's stories, that makes me extraordinarily lucky. But there was a uh, lot. There yeah. was a lot that came out. It was kind of insane, actually. That. Oh yeah, it was like, really reminiscent of. I said how I used to be on YouTube in 2015. There was a very similar thing happen like in I like the that. UK YouTube scene. Yeah, where a lot of YouTube creators were outed as having done all sorts of dodgy shit, and so yeah. it was super reminiscent. It feels like it's just a part of a natural life cycle of a scene, um, because you're always going to have people who, from the start, like as a scene is growing, they see their opportunity to take advantage, right? Yeah. Um, and until they are outed and named and shame like they will continue to do that so it seems like just a na unfortunately a natural part of the life cycle of a scene but uh yeah yeah i haven't been caught up in that awesome i mean i'm happy they're good that you haven't been like caught up in that that's good that's a positive yeah. it's a real positive <laughs> um one of the yeah. things that you actually talked about which i found very interesting is that you're really big into doing diaries or at least you were um is this something that you still do or are you still a diary writer do you write like every day not as much as I like to. I mean, so I used to write a diary really frequently from the age of about 16. I still have a couple of them because I used to handwrite them. Um, and then at the beginning of this year, maybe last year, actually, I started writing some on my PC, but I don't think I've written anything since about March this year, because okay. the problem is, is my life got so busy that I didn't have any time to sit down and write. And by the time I was like, oh, I could write about that. It was like, no, there's too much. <laughs> there's too much. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know about that, but I did once. Oh my God, this is going to sound so stupid. But the three handwritten diaries that I wrote from the age of 16 to 21, I typed up the entire thing, mostly because I wanted to read it all back and yeah. I wanted to see how like my life had gone. But also I find it quite therapeutic to type things up. And it was something like, oh my God, how many tens of thousands of words was it? I want to say it was about 60,000 words long. Mm -hmm. something like that like three diaries <laughs> wow that's a lot i that's mean like that's, that's probably book. good that's good that's good that's probably not i mean that's also like four years right that's yeah 
Yeah, four or yeah. five years. I mean, that's 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 pretty good. That's I feel like that's that's how it's healthy. That sounds like a, a good thing. That, did you find did you find it very therapeutic to do diaries? Is that why you did it? Or do you just like I to record things? I always really liked the fact that I'm definitely an archiver. If you ask anyone I know, I'm the sort of person who's like, I'll screenshot messages and stuff, not because I'm going to send them on, but because I like to keep them and I like to yeah. read back on things, right? I'm I am an archiver through and through. And I kind of like that. I like the fact that it was it was a story that was unfolding and I wanted to be able to read back on it and see how things changed yeah. and see what had happened. And Because it's like, this is like my unique story and there were going to be loads of little details that if I didn't record them, I would lose. Right. Yeah. And like, that's what was kind of crazy for me. I don't know. And even I mean, like, it's, it's good. I think it's, I think it's really is good. Cause you do lose memories or you yeah. like memory is very fickle. Epilepsy at the age yeah. of 20. <laughs> oh yeah. I bet you that's yeah. I can see that being uh, really good too. Yeah. Like just looking back at these things. So yeah, like I, I think it's a really, I, I kind of wish I would have done that, but now I'm just like, eh, it's eh. a big effort. It is. It's a big effort, but yeah, I, I'm glad I did it. Um, but I feel like also the thing with my my life now, like there are a lot of things that happen in my personal life that I would like to record because they're obviously not online. But for yeah. the most part of my life, my career and these really huge couple of years that have happened, it's all online. You know, yeah. it's, it's like I can find that stuff. Um, so like it would definitely more be things like that happen in my personal life that I would I would feel the need to record more so than my career. Yeah, no, um, that makes that makes sense. That makes yeah. sense. So, uh, believe it or not, I've had you here for almost two hours. Um, I believe it. <laughs> I, I, I hope it's been a fun time. I have one question for you left. Okay. okay. This is arguably the hardest question I've asked you up to this point. Um, so, I hope you're prepared for it. Okay. Um, having had the experience being on the show, um, it's hopefully <laughs> fun. If you didn't like it, too bad you're already through it. Um, <laughs> sucks you're already here. Uh, having had the experience being on the show, if you could see anyone to be on this show, uh, who would you like to see? And if you pick someone who I've had, I'll let you know. I would love Bren from Overwatch League. Okay. Bren is one of the funniest, either Bren or Bren. Josh, to be honest. Like both, both of them are hilarious. Uh, if I ever just need to laugh, I will put on Josh's playlist on YouTube of his story times because he's yeah. the best storyteller I've ever heard. But I think Bren would be really interesting because he's such he's such a fun guy. Um, but I know he's spoken online sometimes about like certain like hardships that he had when he was younger and stuff. And I think his story is someone who I'd be interested in hearing. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that being said, if you have any shout outs, uh, that's all the questions I actually have for you. And thank you so much for being on here. If you have any shout outs or anything, you're more than welcome to know. Otherwise, I'll close out the show. Shout out to Tim and Perry, my parents. Oh, OK. That makes a lot. <laughs> I was very confused for a second. Shout out Tim and Perry. Um, yeah, Tim the lad and Pez dog. There you go. For everyone out there, thank you so much. Gio, I loved having you on here. It was a lot of fun. fun. This has been the Minds of Media. Until next time, I uh, hope you guys all have a wonderful day, OK?